All right, what's up, Salt Company? Uh, my name is Drake. I want to give you all a virtual hello, uh, but we're going to jump right in tonight. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're continuing on in our series through the book of Ephesians. So open up to Ephesians 3, and we're going to be digging in there tonight. And so the question that we want to ask tonight is, what is God's plan to change the world? I think right now we're all kind of asking this question, like, how does change in the world take place? And tonight, through chapter 3, we are going to see God's plan to change the world. So let's look at the text, Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, and has now been realized, re revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I, Paul, became a minister to this message through the gift of God's grace, by the working of his power to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father in heaven, from whom every family in heaven and on our earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, might have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Guys, we're walking through four points of this text tonight. We're looking at the mystery. We're looking at the myth. We're looking at the movement, and we're looking at the method. So right away, let's look at the mystery that Paul talks about. So Paul is speaking to Gentiles. You might not know who that is, but it's basically non-Jewish people that were not the people of God. So they were outside of the people of God and not receiving the promises that God had for them. And so right away, man, they don't see that they got that invite to be a part of God's family. Like, they feel like they're, okay, I'm not like those people. I'm kind of on the outside. There was literally a wall dividing them from stepping into God's presence. They were like, man, I missed out on that invite. Like, that's not who I am. And I just want to say, some of you might feel like this. 
Like, I'm not like those type of people that grew up in the church. That's not my story. If you look at my past, you'll see the polar opposite. You'll see brokenness. You'll see me running after the world, after pleasures that this world offers. Like, my story doesn't really line up with that of a Christian. And so you feel like someone who is on the outside. This church thing is great for some people. But if you knew me, you'd realize that is not for me. And so the mystery that's in our hearts is how does someone like me get into being a re- in a relationship with God? Like how does someone like me with all my brokenness, with my past, how can I be in a relationship with God? That's the mystery that we wrestle with. But that is not the mystery that Paul is talking about. What is the mystery that Paul is talking about? He clearly points it out in verse 6. Look back at your Bibles. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's telling these people who have felt like they're outside the promises of God that they are actually fellow heirs. That you now can be a recipient of all that God wants for you. That you can be brought into a relationship for all of eternity because of what he has done for you. That though you felt like you were not good enough to be in relationship with God, he's now brought you into his family. Into the most intimate realm of relationship. He wants to draw you in to his family. And so what we see in this text is that the invite is to everyone. That no one is too far away from God to be welcomed into his family. God broke down that wall that divided humanity and himself, and he's now inviting us to be a part of his family, and it's completely through the gospel. Guys, we need to hear this. It is only through the gospel that we are made right before God, and that is that Jesus looked down on our rebellion, saw how we were living so many different ways, but not for God, and he said, I'm going to go in their place. I'm going to live the perfect life that they could never live. I'm going to live perfectly before God in obedience to him. And the reward for that on my behalf is that I'm going to go to a cross and die in a place that they deserve to die. To take the full wrath of my father so that they can be forgiven for the sins in their life. And that was completely done away with on the cross. And then Jesus died and rose from the grave and gifted you an invitation into an eternal relationship with him. Guys, that is the good news of the gospel, where these people once thought that they were on the outside of being in relationship with God. They're now realizing they're being invited into something. Okay, so my, my 22nd birthday was very, it was a vivid day in my memory, because uh, I remember the morning I was hanging out with some people from Salt, and uh, I didn't get one happy birthday, and poor me, I get it. But I also tried to have conversations with people, and they were kind of short with me kind of ended the conversation a little early, and then I saw people kind of having these conversations around me that I'm like, okay, what, what did I miss? Like, I feel like I'm on the outside of something that's happening right here, and I really hate being on the outside. Like, what is going on here? Well, later that night, I walk into a room that is actually a surprise birthday party for myself, right when Taylor Swift's 22 was coming out, so that was blaring, but I walked into this party, and what I realized is that I actually wasn't on the outside at all. I was being invited in to something. It was my perspective that was completely off. And for some of you in this room, 
you feel like you are completely on the outside of the things of God. Like, that's not your story. Your, your story is full of brokenness. I don't, I don't know the Bible answers. I don't, I don't act like people in church. Like, you feel like that that is the furthest thing from being a descriptor of yourself. Therefore, you feel like you're on the outside. But what I want to tell you tonight is that what you need to see is that you have a wrong perspective. That's not true. What we see is that Jesus actually went to the cross on your behalf so that you could be invited in to the family of God. And that invitation is out there freely for you. All you have to do is embrace him as your Savior and you can come to him. You are as welcome to come to Jesus right now as you will ever be. So why would you wait to accept that invitation to be brought in to the family of God? Jesus paid for your brokenness already. And when we accept this invitation to be brought into the family of God, when we accept him into our life, I think that we can see that we begin to believe a myth of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. So Paul's saying, this gospel that radically changed my life, that changed everything about who I am, I am now a servant of this gospel. Completely by the grace of God and by the working of his power, I am spending my life seeking to push this gospel message forward. That is what my life is now about. And then he says this line that I think gets at all of us a little bit whenever Paul says these things. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. So right away, if you're reading this like me, right away, I'm like, okay, Paul, we get it, like, you're very humble, all these things, but we know you're great. Like you wrote a big chunk of the Bible, congrats, and we know that you're an honorable dude, that you're a leader that everyone looks up to. And so we can look at Paul's life and be like, okay, I love that he's saying that, but I'm not like him. Like I don't have the eloquence, I don't have the words, I don't have the answers that he does. I am never going to be good enough to be like Paul. But here's the myth that we begin to believe when we're following Jesus. We look at coming to know Jesus and we see that it was completely his grace that saved us. Only by the blood of Jesus. But then we begin to believe that in order to be a servant for God, we have to be good enough on our own. But if we look back at Paul's words, he says that he is the very least of all the saints. And he's not speaking out of a, a false humility. Like when someone asks you, hey, are you really good at this thing that you're actually really good at? And you're like, ah, I'm fine. I dabble. Like he's not talking out of a false humility that we do all the time. He is being honest here that he is the very least of all the saints. And that's because Paul is convinced that he is so incredibly broken that there is nothing in himself that is impressive enough to carry about sharing the gospel with someone else. He looks at his own heart and he says, there is nothing in me that is good enough or that will ever be good enough to share this message. The message is all the people need to hear. And so what we learn from Paul in this text is that the question isn't, man, when am I ever going to be good enough? The question is, when am I going to realize how far from good enough I really am? Because he spends no time considering himself. 
He spends no time considering what he brings to the table, his eloquence. He fixes his eyes. I love the wording on the unsearchable riches of Christ. That is all he is setting his sight on. So imagine this. Imagine you're sitting on the shore of Lake Superior. And someone says to you, okay, you have to make it across the 20-mile lake to the other side. you got two options. You can swim. You can swim to the other side. Or you can take this massive boat over here. I'll let you pick. But here's the catch. You are a terrible swimmer. Like, you live in the shallow end. And I'm sorry if that hits a little close to home for some of you. But say that you're a terrible swimmer and you're just sitting on the shore looking out on the lake. And you're like, okay, that's pretty far. I don't, I don't think I can make it on my own. Maybe you start convincing yourself, but then you're like, okay, the waves out there are probably pretty wild. It's probably freezing cold. But who knows? Maybe I can take some swim lessons. Maybe I can, like, work out a little bit, and then I can make it on this journey. So you could wrestle for hours on if you'll ever be good enough to swim across this lake, or you could just accept the fact that you aren't good enough and that you'll never be good enough and hop on the boat. And you will get to the other side. Guys, a lot of us are fixated on, man, how do I make myself good enough to share the gospel of Jesus? How do I know all the answers? How do I know the verses? How can I say the right words to this person? How can I live my life in such a way that I would be good enough to share the gospel with them? And the reality is, when we have that mindset, we are kept from serving God by sharing the gospel because we're stuck in this rut of where we believe that's because we're not good enough. But in reality, what we need to hear is that you will never be good enough. Christ was. And that is all that you need to proclaim. Like we see in the song that we sung before, like the power is in the name of Jesus, not yourself. So Paul is fixated on the unsearchable riches of Christ and proclaiming Christ and him crucified because it is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, not how great you are. So what Paul is showing us is that we need to realize that we will never be good enough. But the story of Christ is what changes people. And what that also tells us is that immediately, when you put your faith in Christ, you become a servant for him. The moment you can begin sharing the gospel is the moment Jesus enters your heart. And so the encouragement is fix your eyes on Jesus and what he did, because that is what's going to be powerful enough to change someone else's life. Because it's not about you. It's all about what Christ did for you. And his gospel is what saves us. And his gospel is the very message that we proclaim. But he isn't just inviting us individually to proclaim this gospel. He's inviting us actually into a movement that will change the world. So the text talks about this plan that's been hidden for ages in God. This plan to change the world that God has hidden. Now he's bringing it to light for all to see. We just have to ask, like, what is that incredible plan? Like God of eternity has come up with this plan to change the world. I want to know exactly what that is. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
The plan isn't being brought forth through the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, even though that sounds like a great plan. Uh, it's not through a political party that we give our life to or a new president. Like, that's not how God's going to change the world. And it's not through our individual relationship with Christ. He says it's the church. This family of broken people, that is who God's going to use to change the world. And I want to ask you, what is your perspective of the church right now? What are the thoughts that come to mind when you think about the church? Like, is there frustration in your heart? Is there maybe anxiety or are you just upset about something that the church did or didn't do? Is there a disagreement that's weighing heavy on your heart that all of your focus about the church is on that disagreement? And what I want to ask next is does your view of the church align with Paul's? Paul states that how is God going to bring about the wisdom to the world? Through the church. So if you want to be a part of God bringing about his wisdom to the world, he's saying, be a part of the church. Our tendency when we look at the church is to criticize and to be infuriated with the church for different reasons. God's tendency is to change the world through the church. Our tendency is to criticize and to doubt, but God's is to change the world through the church. Guys, God, God knew that the church was going to be broken. God knew there was going to be a group of people who had flaws and brokenness. He knew that from eternity past. It's not like he planned to, uh, a plan to change the world, and then he got here. He was like, oh, dang, okay, that messed up. How do, we, how do we reorient this thing now? Like, he wasn't surprised by the brokenness of the church. So even though there are differences and flaws, the church is united by one incredible reality. Let's keep looking at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Guys, because of the gospel, the people of God are all united in that they find their boldness not in themselves, not in ourselves, but in the fact that the Lord of the universe dwells within their heart. Guys, we band around this amazing reality that we are now one in Christ. Like, if you're looking for flaws in the church, you don't have to look for long. You will find it. But what Paul is saying is that if we want to see the message of the gospel move forward to change the world, we have to lock our eyes on the one thing that ties us together. That we know with confidence that we are one in Christ. That we know that he wants to work through us, through the church, to change the world. The unity that we have in Christ is the very way that God is going to use the church to move that gospel message forward to change the world. If we put our faith in the church, we'll fall short. But if the church puts their faith in Christ, he's going to show off his glory. And so as we see 
that we, we want to emphasize and we want to gaze in on the one thing that unites us. Though there's many differences, there's one core reality that draws us together in unity, that we're all broken people. We're a family of broken and flawed people that have been united in what Christ has done for us. How do we actually, what, what method do we need to do to live this out? How do we need to be the type of people who are united in Christ, who are moving the message of the gospel forward? What do we need to do? What is the method the church needs to live this reality out? So Paul is going to lay out the method for us next. So we ask, what is the prayer for the Ephesians that Paul prays that's going to make us into the type of people that would be united as a church and that would cause our focus to be on the kingdom of God. Let's start in verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, that he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so Paul is asking, God, I'm praying that these people would have the strength to comprehend something. Like if they were able to comprehend this one thing, they would be the type of people that would be united in moving the message of the gospel forward. What is that prayer that he's praying? What is that strength that he is asking for these people to have? Let's read on in 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. What is the prayer that Paul says? What is the strength he's praying for these people to have so that they might be built up to be a united church living for the kingdom of God? What is he asking them to be strengthened in? Paul is praying that we'd be the type of people that would have enough strength to comprehend how deep the love of God goes for us. That we would be amazed by the Father that we have and the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of the love that he wants to lavish upon us. And we are going to be spending our entire lives searching the depths of this deeper and deeper. Guys, not that we would earn more of that love, but actually that we'd become more aware of the love that God already has for us. We're going to spend our entire lives searching the depths of that. And as we look into the love of God more and more that he already has for us, it is going to do something. So guys, uh, a lot of you know that my wife and I are going to be having our first baby here in January. We're actually nine weeks away right now which is very wild. Things are about to get real. Um, but what I, what I found out is that there's a couple things to learn about being a parent. Imagine that. Uh, so I've watched some videos. Um, I've learned a couple things. And one of the things you need to learn is how to carry a child. Okay? So you need to learn how to carry the baby. You need to know how to hold the baby. You need to know how to transfer that baby to someone else. Why is that so important? Because in an infant... The muscles in their neck are not strong enough to hold up their head. So if you're not supporting the head, the head isn't going to be supported. So you need to hold it in such a way so that those neck muscles can be strengthened to, over time, hold up the head of that baby. And so what Paul is saying is that I want your heart to be strengthened in such a way that you would be able to comprehend how in love with you 
God is. That you would be able to comprehend how enthralled by you God is. That he looks down upon you with significant delight and joy. And that that is what he feels. He looks down on you and wants you to feel the weight of his love. Guys, how amazing is that? A lot of times when we approach God or when we think about our relationship with God, we think of all the ways that we don't measure up. We think about, man, what did I mess up with today? Man, we think about, what did I mess up with this past week that doesn't allow me to be brought forth before God? And there's a significant weight of all the things that we don't do right. And Paul is saying, I want you to feel another weight. I want you to experience something else weighing you down and to be strengthened to comprehend that more and more. I want you to feel the full weight of God's love for you and that over your lifetime, you might understand that depth more and more and more and that that would shape you to be a person that is actually filled up with the fullness of God. That as you stare into the love of God more and more, it actually causes you to be more in awe of who he is, filling up your heart with desires to live for him and to serve his kingdom by sharing the gospel. So what begins to happen is that we, as we stare into that love more and more, as we understand the depths and the length and the height and the breadth of that love more and more, it begins to rid us of our desires begins to rid us of our passions. It begins to rid us of our pursuits that we have put forth in our life to become more amazed by what he offers. Like if there's someone out there where you're like, man, I'm, I'm longing for a relationship, you'd realize God's relationship is so much greater for me. Or maybe you're someone struggling to be liked, and as you're overwhelmed by the love of God, you're like, actually, it's so far greater for that person to know Jesus and for me to share this message with them than for me to be a likable person. When you're overwhelmed by the love of God, you'll be no longer fixed by what is the career that you want to pursue. What is the life that you want to live? And actually, you'll be fixing your eyes on the kingdom of God and how you could be living for him. When we stare into this love of God, he begins to consume us so that we are fixed on living for him. Salt Company, if we understood even a glimpse of this love, if our mind was so caught up in the love that he has for us that we didn't even have any space to think about where we fall short, How would that change the way that we live? If we were so consumed by the love of God in our life, how would that change the way we go before him in prayer? Let's read the last little section. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Guys, what an incredible father that we have. That he doesn't begrudgingly listen to our prayers because he has to. But he actually wants to lean in and hear every single one of our prayers and do far more than we could ever imagine. That's the type of father that we have. That's the type of love he has for us that he is actually going to bring about his glory throughout all generations, forever and ever. He is going to be bringing about his glory, and he wants us to bring our big prayers before him, like those prayers that we're nervous to say out loud in front of people because they're asking big things. He wants us to bring those things before him 
And then he wants to do more than we could ever imagine with those. So Salt Company, what is your prayer? Maybe it's a, a prayer that you're, you're asking for unity. Within Salt Company, within the world right now, there's so many reasons for divisiveness, and we just need to pray, God, would we be united by the one thing that unites us, that we are one in Christ, that we are all broken people, that if we fix our eyes on the brokenness of the people, there will be so many reasons to point out flaws, but if we fix our eyes on Christ, we'll realize the one thing that unites us together. Maybe your prayer is to be united. Maybe your prayer is to join in with Salt Company as we pray for 1% of the students in the Twin Cities to know Jesus. Guys, my heart has a ton of doubt. And that prayer sounds like a huge ask, that 1%. But if I realize the God that I have, if I realize the love that he has for us, he wants to do more than we could imagine. So imagine what he could do with that prayer. Maybe it's a family member or a roommate that you long to know Jesus. And your prayer is that you would be able to realize that it's the message of the cross that you need to proclaim. Not that you need to get to some status of 2.0 Christianity, but that you actually just need to proclaim Jesus. And that is the power to change that person's life. That God would give them a new heart. What is your prayer? God's incredible love that he has for us invites us to pray these big prayers. And then he wants to flip those and do more than we could ever ask or imagine. God is working through the church to change the world. He's using the church, the broken people of God who have been made new by the cross, to change the world. And he is going to glorify his name through the church. And what we learn from this text is that God is inviting you to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, we... We realize, I realize my need for you. God, I realize all the ways that I don't measure up. I realize all the ways that I fall short, but I pray that I would be able to fix my eyes on the love that you have for me. I pray that we as Salt Company would be able to fix our eyes on the love that you have for us. And as there's so many ways and reasons in this world to be divisive, God, I pray that we would just be fixed on what Christ did for us as the church and realize that Man, though we're broken people, God, you want to use us to change the world. So, God, I pray that you would give us a right perspective of the church. I pray that you would draw us to just want to jump in in what you're doing through the church and that we would be the type of people that would fix our gaze on the love that you have for us. God, yeah, my prayer is that we would be so consumed by the love that you have for us that it would leave no space for us to fix on the wrongs that we have in our life, that we would be living for the kingdom of God instead of our own. God, we need you. Spirit, would you come and be with us? Amen.